This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Benjamin Von Wong never set out to be a photographer. And he became one almost by accident. Nevertheless, in the space of the last five years since he quit his day job as a mining engineer, he's earned a worldwide reputation as a brilliantly original photographic artist and was even named one of four winners of this year's Imaging Alliance Award for Visionary Photographers. I've admired Ben for a long time now and I'm so excited that he's my guest on the show today. Ben creates these fantastical visual worlds through photography and it's usually kind of centered around virally promoting worthy causes. He then posts these images and usually behind the scenes videos around those on his website and on YouTube so that people can experience the process in a visceral way. He's really well known for creating work that looks hyper-realistic and it almost seems like it's created in Photoshop or it's CGI, but it is totally based in capturing what's actually in front of his camera. What I most admire about Ben is the way that he's always been interested in making a positive impact in the world. And he's loved figuring out how to do that in a myriad of epic ways. And I feel like that's what I've been trying to do with my work for years. And, you know, it, it's, it's a tricky, tricky world trying to create something new that makes a difference in the world and hopefully moves the needle. And, you know, hopefully you'll hear that conversation in today's episode. I feel like we, we talk a lot about that and we've got a great back and forth. And so... I hope you enjoy it. My name is Brandon Harvey, and this is Sounds Good, the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and using their lives to make an impact. Without any further ado, let's just jump straight into this conversation. I think that the last time I saw you, I, uh, I crashed your boosted board into a car. Something like that, yeah. But it came out undamaged. <laughs> it came out undamaged. Um, I came out undamaged. Uh, but man, I have no idea how to drive a boosted board. Have you gotten one since? I have gotten on a few since. I have uh, decided that purchasing one is probably not the best decision. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually increased my collection to four now. So what? What do you do with four boosted boards? I take other people out on them. There we it's go. It's like a primary networking tool for me. Um, I just feel it's so much more interesting to go up to someone and be like, hey, do you want to go for an electric skateboard ride around the park together? We'll <laughs> grab a coffee and you know, hang out as opposed to just saying, oh, let's, um, let's get coffee or yeah. let's meet at your office. It's That's so, so cool. much more interactive. Yeah, it's yeah. just a, a better experience. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating, man. When we met for the first time and when I crashed your boosted board, we were at uh, Adobe Max, a conference in, I guess that year, it was San Diego, because we both come from a uh, a a photography background. You know, I don't do as much photography anymore. I do a little bit of photography. You are still 100% in the photography game. You are crushing it. But here's what I don't know. I don't know how you got started as a photographer. So maybe we can go back to, you know, the beginning of uh, your time as a photographer. Where did that all come together? Yeah, for sure. So I studied to be a hard rock mining engineer. Um, Wait, wait, what does that mean? 
So kind of like a dwarf, you know, mining gold, silver, <laughs> uh, metals. <laughs> it's exactly what I was doing, but I was mostly doing, so I studied mining engineering. So I was uh, sitting in front of a computer for the most part, still going on to, you know, in different mines and checking things out. Is that a good career choice? Like when I think about coal mining, I think about automation, killing, mining. Like, is it like that or is it, is it, is it kind of a newer, better industry? I mean, mining is dirty. You're in the middle of nowhere, um, you know, small mining towns. You're, but, but you're surrounded by nature, right? So um, it, it sort of depends on like what you enjoy, like the type of lifestyle you like. Like if you're kind of a small community person and you just want to be outdoors every weekend um, and you like the lifestyle of working really hard for a small period of time and then having, you know, time off. Um, like there are a number of my friends that were doing fly in, fly out. So they'll fly you in for anywhere between three to five weeks where you work, you know, seven days a week, and then you have two to three weeks completely off to do whatever you want. And while you're on these locations, so you, you're not allowed to drink alcohol, um, you basically have nowhere to spend your money. So you just accumulate all this wealth, then you go out and you're on vacation for two, three weeks. So it's sort of a lifestyle choice. Um, for me, it wasn't a particular good and at what point did you realize that this wasn't a good fit for you? Uh, before I graduated, actually. I, uh, so I had a number of internships, and <laughs> I just realized like being in the middle of nowhere, uh, working on something I didn't care about was really not for me. I actually had a mild crisis, um, I think, six months before I was about to graduate. You know how like you go through school, and after elementary school, it's middle school. After middle school, it's high school. After high school, it's university. And then suddenly there was like, there was nothing. It was, it was work for the rest of my life. And I was like, holy crap, this is horrible. And um, I wanted to just, you know, not go to work and travel. Um, and uh, my parents, being good Asian parents, said that wasn't an option. <laughs> and uh, they said, well, you I mean, you've gone through this four years of education. You might as well go and work. Um, go take a few months off and go have fun, but come back and get a job and figure it out. So that's what I did. I um, traveled, uh, went to Taiwan, I think, um, came back and started working, worked three and a half years and, uh, and, and decided to quit. So how I came to that flow. Um, so I, I picked up photography while I was stranded in a mine at one point, a, a girl broke up with me in November, 2007, um, bought my first camera, didn't know anything about photography. So I bought a point and shoot at Walmart and wanted to take pictures of stars. Um, Needless to say, it didn't work out. So I had to return it, <laughs> bought a, the most expensive camera there was in Walmart. Um, that wasn't good enough, too. It was like a Kodak Easy Share. Yeah, Walmart doesn't have the best selection of, of great photo gear. No, it didn't. Um, but, but it was the biggest photo store in town because I was in this tiny mining town. So I, had, I returned that, and I had to drive like three hours to the next major city, um, bought a camera, slept in my car, and you know took photos. And... Uh, read the manual to to start, so that's how I began. And um, photography was this companion for me in the beginning. Like it was, it was sort of a friend that you could bring with you everywhere. It didn't matter if you didn't know anybody. If you you were at a party and you didn't know anybody, you could still take pictures. Um, it's a good conversation starter, a good excuse to hang out with people, go for a walk. Um, it was also this sort of all access pass because now suddenly you could get invited to things that you would never get invited to otherwise. You could go backstage you could you know open up conversations with people and so forth and so when I realized that I could make money having fun so basically get paid to take pictures um, I hopped into it 
and really just started developing this event photography business for for a little while. Really? So you you got started really as like as an event photographer. I did. Yeah, it was that is just the easiest way to get more gear and so you know, so and I love gear. Um or I loved gear, just this ability to to constantly buy like the the latest greatest stuff that I could afford. Um, and I just upgraded pieces one at a time and I was holding the engineering job in parallel. So engineering took care of life expenses and my photography, every single dollar I earned in photography just went straight back into it. Um, and it allowed me to grow really, really fast. That's fascinating. And so it seems like you were passionate largely about the technical side of things and the way that those technical things gave you the ability to take more technical photos, but like event photography isn't very technical. When did you start bridging the gap into doing a little bit more technical stuff um, professionally? So I think I'm really addicted to growth. Like I really love the idea of growing and growing efficiently. So you can grow linearly or you can grow exponentially. And photography is just one of those things like when you first start out, like every like tiny new trick you learn makes your photography exponentially better. And so for like the beginning, you know, like you get your first like wide aperture lens or you get your first wide angle lens or you get your first ND filter or you you learn HDR for the first time. You know, like you pick up these little tricks and suddenly like this whole new world unlocks for you. And I feel like that was really what drove me in the beginning. Um, And then event photography was, you know, the, the money side of it. And my transition from events to creative things or more technical things as, as, as you're calling them, um, was really a result of realizing that I had two jobs. So I was like, Hey, I got my job as an engineer and I got this job as a photographer, but what happened to like the fun of photography? So that's when I actually shifted out of event photography and made a conscious effort to do, um, creative photography. And, um, and the creative stuff began as a, a 365 project. Uh, you know, one photo a day, every day, and make it awesome. Um, back in the days where Flickr was hot. <laughs> <laughs> I know those days. That was how I got started too. Yeah, so I did that. And and if you're trying to create a cool photo every day, you've got to find different ways to do that. And um, that's where I learned a lot of my Photoshop skills. Um, it's just, you know, I kind of ran out of time to go out and shoot people. So I had to shoot myself a lot. Uh, and then once I gave up the 365 after 100 days, I started investing more heavily into like studio equipment because I was like, okay, if I'm going to stop doing a photo a day, it's because I want to do larger, more complex things and I'm going to need, you know, larger, more complex gear to do it. And that's when like these, you know, finding these bigger teams of like hair, makeup, model really started to begin around that. Man, and let's let's talk a little bit about that period of work because... I think that's maybe where I first came to know your work was when it became these really elaborate, bigger team photos you were creating. You were creating not just photos, but experiences. And and I would imagine also your job expanded from just being a photographer to also being um, an art director and to some degree a set builder because these photos are just massive and intricate. Like, Can you describe one or two of those early shoots just to give the listeners an idea of like how intense these photos were <laughs> i mean i don't see my work that way so really it's kind of really? interesting to i i think sorry to project <laughs> so i mean i've been a full-time photographer now for about five years or six years now because I, I quit my job in 2012 and 
even a year or two prior to that, I was already doing sets. So it's actually taken like a really long time to build up to where I am today. So the interesting thing is if you go on Flickr and you, you look for Von Wong, you can go all the way back to 2008 and see the evolution of photographs. And I think in the beginning, they were very much, you know, standard, do something really cool with a model, hair, makeup, and, 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 and so forth. So very fashion-y. But then things started getting really interesting when I started experimenting with special effects. So lighting people on fire, um, <laughs> getting people like knights in shining armor and horses in a village, or, um, you know, taking flour and having dancers throw it around or covering a person in liquid latex. So like, I think when I started to venture more in practical effects was when when I started getting this pseudo reputation on online for being the guy who was a little bit crazy. Um, <laughs> and then I just never stopped because this is kind of the problem with the internet, right? They always expect you to, to one up yourself. Yeah. And so you're kind of trapped in this, this cycle, which, you know, for better or for worse, pushes you to do bigger, crazier things. And so I think to get to where I was today, wasn't this linear progression, but rather just, you know, keep, adding layer like one layer like what can I do more this time what can I do crazier that time and sometimes it would be a complete flop like I have videos online where I tried lighting people on fire and failed wait wait, wait. you failed yeah like the guy wouldn't burn um <laughs> turns out if you don't put the right stuff on the person you just won't light up on fire properly um it's a thing <laughs> <laughs> and for a lot of this stuff you're kind of showcasing you're also making videos behind the scenes showing the process of your creation of these things kind of you know, maybe that's like what's fueling that internet love is people being able to see some of the context behind the scenes. I learned very early on that if I shared the process of how I do things, um, that same image that I captured would get that much more traction. Um, because suddenly it wasn't just a pretty photo anymore. It was a process. And so every single piece of content that I create um, usually has a behind the scene video that goes with it. And I've always tried to make that video useful to the people watching. So what's shifted the most over time has actually been the target audience. Like when I first started out, my goal was to be seen on photography blogs. And so my, my material was very educational. And then as I started getting bored of the technical and shifted off into inspirational, I started really focusing on this idea of, you know, being able to pursue your passions as a creative. And then once that got a little bit boring too, then I really started focusing on these greater purposes, like um, these impact stories that I currently have. So, but at the end of the day, like there's always been documentation of it. It's just that the focus and the way I told those stories changed. I like this idea actually that that maybe, you know, if you were to keep on making those same photography tutorial style videos, they would continue to be valuable and effective for you, but your passion on them would kind of run dry and you're like, the best way I can create things that, you know, move the needle is to actually lean into the things that inspire me, the things that are of interest to me. Because I've largely done the same thing. Like, I could probably have a much more sustainable career if I was back doing some of the early photography stuff I was doing, but it just, it lost its luster for me. And for me, I, I, you know, if I'm doing something unique and interesting, I'd like to just continue to follow my passions and let that lead me into, you know, whatever it is I'm doing now. Yeah. I think 
I think one of the really important things to try to keep in mind is to never be a slave to your own creation, mm. right? Like there are no, there are so many creatives that that I've encountered who have to they get stuck in this cycle. So let's say they're creating educational content, and now their income depends on it, and now they're stuck creating that all the time, or they've designed a style for something that they can't escape because nobody cares about anything else they do. So they have to do the same thing over and over again. And so I've always made sure to like prioritize my own. Personal interests first, and then my followers second,、um, which hasn't always gone over well.、Um, I I think that I I could have a significantly more successful social、uh, presence if I stayed more consistent.、Um, but like this desire, really, to just have the freedom to pursue something that you really believe in, I think is is kind of important because as a creative, it's sort of your strongest weapon. Like if If you get bored of what you do, you lose everything. Yeah, and, and ultimately, like people want to follow you because you've got a point of view, because you've got passions and ideas, and I think following you would lose some of its magic if you were just kind of sharing the same thing and it felt more, if it felt kind of like it was coming out of a lab more than it was coming out of like a human with a heart. Yeah, that's true.、Um, I mean, I don't know.、Um... You can't really control what others do, right? You can't. I can't control why people follow me.、Um, I can have an idea of, of of what it is, but at the end of the day, like I can control what I create and and why I I do it and the messages I choose to focus on. And so I don't know why people follow me. I think there's a plethora of reasons. I've I've done like surveys in the past to try to figure out like are they more in it for the impact stories? Are they more in it for the adventure? Is it just for the inspiration or is it for the entertainment or the comedy? Like. What is it? And everyone has a different answer. It's just like when you show someone your portfolio, like everyone has a different favorite. And so it's it's almost like I can spend my time trying to please everybody, or I can just go and do the best I can with what I have, with this greater mission of making sure to provide something of value to people's lives and believing in that and pursuing it, and then letting people sort of. Um, taper off because it no longer resonates with them, or you know, latch on even tighter because it, it's now it's now become something greater than the final result. I just wanted to take a quick break from this conversation to tell you about the sponsor of this week's episode of Sounds Good, Hover. So I've been using Hover domains to host my websites, BrandonHarvey.com, GoodGoodGood.co, all kinds of other domains. For years, if you've been listening to the podcast for a little bit, you know this. I I love to gab about Hover because I genuinely use it and love it.、Um, if I go and check Hover dot com,、um, okay, here's <laughs> I have twenty four domain names registered with Hover. That's a lot. That's amazing, and I love it. Their platform is easy and simple to use. They're trusted brand when it comes to my privacy, and they offer hundreds of extensions to choose from. I want you to put your passion online in the same way I have with Hover. Just go to hover.com/soundsgood for ten percent off your first purchase. Again, that's hover.com/soundsgood. You get ten percent off your first purchase, and you show your support for this podcast. Also. For all aspiring or serial entrepreneurs, we've got some information on a really great conference that you can totally attend. The event is Fireside Conference, and Hover is a proud sponsor. 
It's an off-the-grid, invite-only event taking place a few hundred clicks north of Toronto the weekend after Labor Day. The conference is packed with VCs, startups, tech enthusiasts, and more. If this is you, then check them out at firesideconf.com. That's firesideconf.com. Get your website launched with Hover and be prepared to pitch your awesome business at Fireside Conference this year. Okay, now back to the rest of the conversation. Let's talk a little bit about your transition to doing more impact-driven work because this is this is probably right around the point that I met you. You'd maybe been doing this for a little while and I was immediately drawn to the way that you've done this. And, and this is the thing that I paid the most attention to over the last few years. I don't know, it's just it's really remarkable and really inspiring. Tell me about that intentional choice to kind of pursue this new type of content. Yeah, so I've always been interested in you know, having a positive impact in the world. And I've done it in a number of different ways. Initially, it was like teaching. So giving back and sharing all this knowledge for free to different photographers. And, and then after that, it was a little bit more inspirational to get people to quit their jobs. And um, whenever I had some charity projects or so forth that came up, I'd always pick them up, um, you know, and, and document the process. So there was this fan I surprised for his 21st birthday, who was chronically ill um, there was a girl with terminal cancer who wanted a photo shoot for her um, for her funeral, so I helped her do that. And I've made fundraising videos for different charities. It's never been sort of what I do. It's always been like the thing I do on my spare time. Yeah. So as a creative, for the longest time, my goal was just make it as a creative. Like, wouldn't it be amazing to get paid to do what you do best? Um, that was kind of the goal, and 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 I kind of got there. I had a few global campaigns and they paid super well, but I wasn't really that proud of what I had created. It didn't resonate with me. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't like, Oh, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. It was more of a, Oh, that's it. That that's what I've been working for <laughs> kind of a thing. And so it really forced me to reevaluate like where I wanted to go. Like what was I going to pursue for the next 10 years? And I came to the realization that the work that I created, while it was really cool and it had really inspirational videos, the photos themselves didn't have a purpose. Like the work at its core didn't have a mission to it. The story of how I got there had the lessons, but the result itself didn't, um, didn't have it. But, but since I was a photographer that created these worlds, I, I didn't really know how to tie like the impact world and the fantastical world together because um impact social impact for the most part when you look at it is like all these documentaries of horrifying situations and so forth and my work is very much airy fairy and very very fantastical and so finding the intersection of how can this fantasy world intersect this like really grimy dark kind of documentary like the sad reality world like how do these two work together and that was something that I was really stuck on and so it reached the point where I almost quit photography uh, and went off to make fundraising videos um, only for me to realize that I wasn't actually as great of a filmmaker as I was of a photographer and and the the journey or the time investment that it would take to become great was just something that didn't strike me as particularly efficient so I was talking about how important exponential growth w was for me. Um, and starting back at, let's say, zero 
um, more or less just didn't seem efficient. And, um, and so I just kind of pattered around trying different things. And it was only until my girlfriend um, convinced me to go storm chasing that uh, I managed to create my first sort of intersection of impact and fantasy. Maybe we should back up for a second and say, it's remarkable that your girlfriend convinced you to go storm chasing. I feel like anybody who does storm chasing, their significant others are like, let's maybe not do this. This is a bad idea. And, and you had to kind of get dragged into doing it. Yeah, well, I mean, I wanted to go, but I didn't want to go just for fun. Um, and I didn't want to go and put a model in, in front of it. But my girlfriend just wanted to experience it. She thought it would be really cool. But I had no interest in just, just doing something fun and cool. Um, and so she said, well, why don't you just use storm as a metaphor for climate change and create something there? And so I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. Why not? Why don't we just go ahead and do it? And because she knows that if I set my mind to something, it tends to happen. So the minute the concept was, I guess, pseudo approved, we, we found a storm chaser called Kelly Delay within like, I think, three weeks and um, a fan who had an ambulance came along with us so we could store a ton of things in his like retrofitted ambulance and we just went storm chasing for two weeks um to create the series and <laughs> uh, and and that was like the first so like the series isn't my best work but it was that first time where i could see the intersection of fantasy and impact sort of like hit and that was in that was like what three years ago now wow and that's, that's sort of like what 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 really kick-started it and uh and since then it's just been every single project um, that I've done that I've released has an impact component to it. And I guess I want to, I want to take some time and talk about how hard it was to shift. Yeah. Um, because I did wake up one morning and said, I'm, this is what I'm going to do, but, but actually doing it wasn't easy. Um, so I had assumed that, you know, when I made this a big announcement, like I made a blog post about it, it has this official announcement that I was going to take a year off and not do any work. I didn't have social impact. My strategy was to like go out to all these nonprofits and get, make this offer of just working with them to do whatever they wanted, no strings attached. That was the offer. And I thought that, you know, people would bite. Hey, you get this, like, this guy who would come and offer his um, not only a great photo, photo shoot, but like this ability to make things go viral and, get, and raise, raise money and, and get views and all this stuff that I, that, that I was really good at. I expected people to come flocking in and, and that didn't happen. Um, actually, like no one really understood what I wanted to do. I probably didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do either. And when I started releasing these projects, it turns out that a lot of photographers also didn't really care about these new impact things that I was working on. They just wanted more tips. They wanted more tips and tricks to, to you know, improve their career because that was like the following that I had fostered. And um, all the companies that supported me were kind of annoyed because I wasn't making the educational material that was helping them sell gear. And so, you know, there's this like really tough shift of, of just like where I was headed and, and for everyone else to catch up to it. But like I was saying a little earlier, it didn't really matter. It, I, knew, I knew where I wanted to go and I sort of, I had this vision of like what it could become and I just kind of rolled with it. So um, now, three years down the line, it's been really interesting because while I th think there are still a bunch of people that wish I, you know, had more tutorials and stuff and, and they'll vocalize it, the fans that were already fans of what I did before are now like bigger fans. So like I, I had lost people along the way, but the ones that stayed have got, have become like 
even stronger supporters. Um, they believe in the mission, which is like so much deeper than just like, oh, I like photography tips. Yeah. And it's been like the reverberations of it. Like, I think like people have started looking for opportunities to, to infuse their work with impact. And it wasn't the fact that I had done it once is the fact that I kind of did it over and over and over and over again. And people are just like, oh, it's possible to do this. There aren't just one-offs. There is the possibility of building this, let's say, business model or, 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 or kind of come up with a structure to focus on, on having an impact. And even if they don't always care about the same things that I do, like I, I can't say that a lot of the followers are environmentalists to start with. Um, they really think it's amazing that I've sort of found a way to make an impact. And so they're, they don't try to do environmental projects themselves. They try to, they try to tackle the issues that they believe in um, using what I do as a little bit of um, just knowing that it's possible, I think is, is what it, what's important to them. And, and I'm, I'm guessing it's probably the same for you. Yeah. For me, it's, you know, it's been a really interesting process of, of kind of transitioning to doing this kind of work. And for me, it was never like a, like putting my stake in the ground and saying, this is what I do now, or I'm going to do this for a year. It was, it was a slow and steady process of me, similar to you, just trying to figure out what I was passionate about and continuing to follow that. And it just led to, you know, I was living in downtown Portland, Oregon, and there's a bunch of nonprofits there. And I was just, you know, I'd be walking around and I would just like bump into people who worked for nonprofits and they'd be like, oh, we need photos for this thing. And I'd be like, oh, I can volunteer to do that. Or I can, you know, I'll get paid to do that, but I'll, I'll take a little bit of a pay cut. And I just started doing that to a point where like, not only was I finding that I was really passionate about it, but I was also becoming a bit of an expert in the world of, of telling stories of, you know, making a difference in people's lives without manipulating the people whose stories were being told. Like that was something I was really, I learned really, really early on. Like you go on a trip to Africa and you're not, you're not using the people and the stories that you meet to like get donations. Like you figure out a way to like communicate their story in a way that, uh, brings their humanness more to the forefront so that you want to respond by supporting, you know, their humanity, not by saying, oh, they're like poor and they need help. It's like, no, this person is ambitious and talented and, you know, has a bright future ahead of them. They just have a few roadblocks that we can all work together on to to get rid of, you know? And so I just started getting really energized by leaning into that and figuring out how I can continue to do this. And and then I just hit a point where, you know, basically clients and brands would would reach out to me and, and want to be working together. Uh, and I would basically say, you know, we could work together, but I only accept a limited number of, of campaigns a year. And this isn't as interesting to me as if we were to do some sort of social impact component to this. Have you thought about partnering with, you know, this organization or this organization? And maybe we do the campaign around your support for them because it's really in line with your mission or your values. And I was able to start pivoting a lot of my normal work into things that had a social impact component, even though that's not how the pitch came originally. And so for me, it was this slow and steady process, but, you know, and, and with my audience, I kind of found the same thing. You know, there were some people who were so on board and passionate about this and so excited. And then a lot of other people who were like, I kind of liked it when you posted photos of the ocean more or like, I kind of wish you would just like do a waterfall with an inspirational quote. And you know, that's, that's fine. You know, like that I'm losing a little bit of people. You had a demand. Well, at least with the, 
the work side of things, you had a demand first. Yeah. Whereas I had no demand. <laughs> I just I just made a decision and I was like, oh crap. <laughs> so I think I think you had the better strategy. Well, I mean <laughs> you built something that people wanted <laughs> and then and then let it flow. I just went like, all right, I'm doing this. Yeah, I'll figure it out along. Well, I, I will say though that the, the work doesn't come as consistently as it used to. I think that that transition period was the best, where people were like, "Oh yeah, you're this old person. You're doing this old style of work," and I'm like, "No, no, no. I do this new style, but we can still work together." And now, you know, it's a little bit harder to, you know, bridge that gap. But for me, just like you were saying earlier, like following that passion and and this idea that my work should have some sort of impact to it and that maybe I have the ability to move the needle. Like all of that drives me so much more than a follower count or, you know, the amount of dollars in my bank account, all of those things. It is a complicated thing. And it's certainly a thing that, that I'm able to kind of wrestle with because I have a certain level of privilege where, you know, I'm not going to like, if I totally fail financially, like I'm not going to end up on the street it's a risk that I can take and not everybody can take, but because I have the privilege to take it, I feel an obligation to. Cool. No, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I definitely have the same privilege. Like I have a good family. If I end up one day with nothing, I can always go back home, got a roof over my head. You know, um, I've been, I've built up savings thanks to having my engineering career in the past. And so I have, I had, a, I had the opportunity to have a runway and an education on top of that, I just don't have kids, right? Like, so yeah. there's so many people I know that have families and and they just can't take those risks. I really like what you just said about saying like, you have privilege, so so now you're obligated to, you know, use it in service of others. I, I, I've never heard that before and I, and I think it's really cool. I like that a lot. Thanks, man. And I love the way that you've done that. Like, I think that you have said, you know, I've got this audience, I have this unique ability to drive interest and views and engagement on digital content. And I have a fantastic ability to shoot photos in a way that nobody else can. You know, it's it's really unique. And, and you have said, you know, I'm going to dedicate my time and attention and passions and abilities toward, you know, specifically environmentalism. And maybe we should actually dive in. Can you tell me about like one of your favorite projects you've done that's highlighted this thing because and and hopefully people will go and watch you know some of your videos on YouTube later because they're fantastic. But what's one of your favorites that you that you brought together to kind of communicate this message? Yeah, so I think one of my favorites was um, putting a mermaid on ten thousand plastic bottles. I think as far as story goes and um, quality of images, it's been one of the most successful ones that I've ever done. It happened completely randomly because my mom found a mermaid tail designer while she was hunting for my someone to fix my sister's wedding dress. <laughs> so it's like the most random of occurrences. So but, funny. but this commitment to it saying like, I want to do something with impact made me think of like, oh, well, how can I shoot a mermaid? And so plastics in the ocean is a pretty big topic. And so I just kind of fused the two together. Um, video ended up getting... Uh, 37, 38, or maybe it's at, I don't know how many millions of views it is at so far, which is pretty cool. And and that's just on the native video. So not all the cuts and, and TV features and all the rest are completely separate from that, which is pretty amazing. So I don't know, I think that's probably one of my highlights in terms of impact to quality of image ratio. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you are with your, your campaigns or your work. I have this problem where I directly correlate success of a project and quality of the project to 
its reach. Mm. <laughs> and and I don't think that's always accurate. Yeah. Um, but it's one that I'm trying to kind of separate from. Yeah. And focus a little bit more on depth of impact as opposed to breadth. And I mean, depth of impact is because I went to school for marketing and advertising. So like when I was in my like uh, marketing research class or whatever, you know, you talk about this idea of, of um, qualitative data and quantitative data and quantitative data, like the number of people you reached or the amount of minutes that were watched or the amount of engagement that you got. All of that is super easy to calculate and compare and put in a spreadsheet. Um, but qualitative data is the stuff that is so much harder to measure, but I think that's what matters. And so for me, like I measure the success of a project by the DMs that I get or the number of people who email me a year later and say, I'm still thinking about this. And, you know, that's that's obviously not going to fly in, in, in measuring things for like a client every time, but like that's what I do it for. But maybe there's a little bit of a balance to be found between the two. Agreed, agreed. I think I think finding the balance between the two is, is, is important. Um... I'm trying to see myself as more of an artist and less of a marketer these days. I think it gets really tiring to always have to sell what you do, which would be the role of a marketer because you got to keep up with the trends. You always got to, you know, um, figure out what these algorithms are doing, so on and so forth. Whereas the artist instead will focus a little more on just creating really great stuff. Um, and I think I've I've spent a lot of time on the marketing side. And I'd like to start thinking just more about creating really great things, letting the the storytelling and the marketing part of it take on a little more organic of a role. This might be going back to like the marketing side of things, but uh, I, I wrote down this quote from one of your videos where you said, how do you get somebody to talk about something ordinary, ugly, and boring? I love that, that in many ways that's what you've been able to do. Like, I think in, talking about the environment is such a difficult thing. Like, so at Good Good Good, my company that celebrates the good in the world, uh, we actually uh, are members of 1% for the planet. And so, you know, we give 1% of our of our total revenue from our sales of the good newspaper to, uh, to combat, you know, climate change and to support um, environmental impact. And, you know, we just thought that that was a really important thing because, in our newspaper all day long, we're highlighting the stories of people creating, you know, solutions to problems that are sometimes sexy, you know, oftentimes not sexy, but like, you know, there's a lot of things that are like, oh, this is happening now and it's, it's popular or interesting, or at least you can put kind of a more of a story to it. But the environment is so tricky because it's something that will just slowly impact our lives for decades and ultimately impact our grandchildren's lives and their grandchildren's lives. And so it's a hard thing to get people to talk about, but I love that you are very intentionally making this something that is something that you can talk about. It's it, you're you're putting a, a a photo and a story to this idea that feels very vague and very far off and very much like it doesn't impact you on a direct level. So yeah, the the, the funny thing is that like I actually suffer with the complete opposite problem. So I love to tackle more human stories. And I have done a few, but but it's just not that suitable for my medium because you can make a fantasy problem out of the environment, but you can't like fantasize human suffering unless you're going through it yourself. So for example, if I made a series around depression, that was my interpretation of depression as opposed to my personal experience, 
uh, people get really offended. Um, it, same could be said about any kind of uh, abuse or or violence or or so on and so forth. Like to to make fantasy out of that, I think goes down really really badly. Oh, that's so interesting. That's a good little yeah. nuanced understanding of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think maybe so. You go for a more documentary approach. So so the human stories are like perfect, and then I'm on the flip side. I'm like, I have to make something really like crazy out of it. <laughs> And uh, it just doesn't fly so well. Well, we make a good team. We balance each other out. This is good. This is really good. There you go. Together we make one. Together we make one competent photographer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Man, yeah, this is this is fascinating. I love that you have been able to go down this unique route in line with your passions, abilities, talents, and interests. You know, it sounds like your career has evolved and shifted even just over the last five years. What do you think is is kind of next for you? So the next step is going to be really interesting. Um, so we actually reconnected because you, you appeared on my email newsletter for this, <laughs> this, this book called Story Brand. And uh, it talks about, so like the one single biggest highlight of that book for me was the fact that when most people tell their stories, and this is applicable for humans, for brands, for anything, they always portray themselves as the hero. And that the more efficient thing to do would be to portray themselves as a guide and let the viewers be the hero. And uh, that's something that stuck so strongly in my mind because with the work that I do, I'm always the hero. Like I am the center of attention, the guy who's coming up with this crazy idea and executing it. And there's very little opportunity for others to be the hero because they're not going to create these crazy photography projects on the evenings and weekends. They're probably not going to quit their jobs to, you know, do this stuff. Like, so, so at the end of the day, like what I create, although it's really great at attracting attention and, you know, having a little bit of this inspirational component, like people can really only share. There's very little opportunity for them to get involved. Um, and that's something that really bothers me about my work and, and something, a problem that I've been really struggling to solve. And now if I combine that with the shift in digital, um, and I think we've all felt it, um, there's so much content happening. It's all getting better, which is great because there's more good content out there than ever before, but it's also more competitive than ever before. It's harder to get your stuff seen. So if you want to be a content creator today, you almost have to follow these very strict rules of posting extremely regularly um, following the formats of what the algorithms prefer. And I've just noticed lately how hard it is for me to uh, consistently reach an audience, regardless of the quality of work, because no matter how good the piece of content is, its half-life on the internet from an algorithmic perspective is extremely short. Like it'll last between 24 hours to a week, um, at which case it just sort of decays because it's no longer new and the algorithms need to favor newer fresher content all the time so so because i'm in the impact space and because i create things to have an impact if people aren't seeing what i do then i'm not having an impact right so everything that i create right now is extremely transient uh, and i think that's the case for every single piece of digital content and that's something that bothers me if i take these two problems the fact that i don't want to be the hero and the fact that digital content is on the decline 
from a durability perspective as well as a reach perspective. I think the next step for me will be to shift into the physical space and make my make my work more accessible to people in a physical way. So if I can, if these worlds that I currently create, these crazy sets and installations can be something that can be publicly viewable where anyone could go in and model inside of or shoot themselves inside of or be a part of so that they can have the opportunity to use that as their profile picture or their image so that they can talk about the things that they care about. I think that's going to be the next step. So I solve the hero problem. I solve the digital decay problem and I leverage all the pieces that I currently already have. So we'll see how it goes. Dude, I'm, I'm pumped about that. Let me know how I can, how I can support that because I think, oh, first of all, I love that you're seeing a problem in the world and you're saying, I want to solve this. And then you're saying, you know what? There's also a problem that makes it more difficult for me to solve this. Therefore, I'm going to solve that as well. And you're creating an experience that allows people to join in and, and become a part of that solution as well by, by fully feeling and experiencing um, you know, this environment you're creating. And so I've got no clue what this is going to look like, but I'm, <laughs> I'm pumped. This, that's cool. That's like energizing for me. Yeah, I don't know either, but like, I love these reinvention opportunities. Like, I am going to make so many mistakes coming out. It's going to cost me so much money. (laughs) Um, I have no idea how I'm going to do it, but like, but it's going to work because, so here's the funny thing, right? Um, I don't know if you have the same experience, but, but I've always felt like if you set a destination in mind and like, that's like your goal and you just keep walking towards it. The question isn't whether or not you're going to get there. It's just how long it's going to take yeah. <laughs> and how many mistakes are you going to make along the way. <laughs> and so like, you know, whether or not it's a good idea is a completely separate conversation. But like, you know, if you just keep your head down and walk that direction, like you eventually get there and it's, you know, for better or for worse. Um, and, and that's, that's sort of like what I got going for me right now. And I, I think what's, what's really revitalizing more than anything else is the excitement. Like I just, I just feel really excited about this idea and, um, and you know, my, my projects as fun as they, they are, have gotten a little bit redundant, you know, it's a little bit of the same, always different, but but it's kind of similar. And so this, this whole new world to discover and sort of conquer, if you will, is just, it's just really interesting and really fun. There are so many things that I admire and respect about Ben, but most specifically his belief that if you have a destination in mind and you keep walking towards it, then it's not a question of whether or not you'll get there. It's simply a matter of time before you arrive where your passion is taking you. Man, after listening to this conversation, I hope that your curiosity is piqued about Ben's current and past work. If you're just finding out about him, you should absolutely follow him on Instagram at at Von Wong. And to get a little bit more of an inside look at how his work is made, make sure to search for him on YouTube. And lastly, make sure to check out his website for his collection as a whole. If you're new to Sounds Good, we would love for you to stick around. If you like this episode, you'd also love my conversation with Eric Holthouse and my conversation with Stephen Ken. Both of these guests are paving the way for using their craft and skill for global impact. You can find both of these episodes and more than 100 other episodes by searching for Sounds Good wherever you listen to podcasts. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and even YouTube. 
which is weird, but like people do that. People listen on YouTube and you can too. Anyway, this podcast is created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good Good Good, a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. Chad Michaels Navely and the team at CM Studio edit mix the show, and Christy Karenbrock offers production support. You can get lots of hopeful stories on social media by following us everywhere at Good 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 CO. And the Good 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 team is a small team, but we are real people who are simply trying to do the best we can to spread good news. And we love seeing the good newspaper being sold or given away in cafes and shops and businesses and hospitals around the country. If you want the good newspaper in your neighborhood or you own a business that would like to carry good news, please contact our team. Email us at wholesale at goodgoodgood.co and make sure to see what else we do at goodgoodgood at goodgoodgood.co. And on that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and remember Ben's words. Your passion for your craft is your greatest weapon in life. Next week, we'll be back with another inspiring story from an incredible person. Sound good? 